the Lord be with you and also with you. Bless the Lord who forgives all our sins. God's mercy endures forever. We gather in virtual worship this Lenten Sunday. Let us worship God in spirit and in truth. The liturgy, music, and sermon are offered in the praise of God for our virtual congregation today and later around the globe. The service includes the sermon recorded March 17th along with music and liturgy from earlier services. Our 2021 Lenten Theological Conversation partner is St. Patrick. We welcome your support and responses. We await your self-selection of forms of leadership, ministry, and service in our midst. And as the spirit moves, when again it is permitted and safe to do so, your presence with us here in worship. Although our nave is empty, the music is full. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it.
May we pray. Almighty God, you alone can bring into order the unruly wills and affections of sinners. Grant your people grace to love what you command and desire what you promise, that among the swift and varied changes of the world, our hearts may surely there be fixed where true joys are to be found through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Please be seated. We begin our service of worship with heart and mind lifted to the grace of God. By God's grace, we receive affirmation, inclusion, acceptance, pardon, forgiveness, health, salvation, love. A new covenant as the choir guides us. May we bow in silent confession. Let us pray. have mercy upon us. Christ, have mercy upon us. Lord, have mercy upon us. But for the grace of God, we would not be, and but for the grace of God, we could not love. But for the grace of God, we should not speak. But by God's grace, we live and love and speak. Hear good news. If we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thanks be to God. A lesson from the book of Jeremiah, chapter 31, verses 31 through 34. The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. 
It will not be like the covenant that I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, a covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No longer shall they teach one another or say to each other, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, says the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and remember their sin no more. The word of the Lord. Lesson from the Epistle to the Hebrews, chapter 5, verses 5 through 10. So also, Christ did not glorify himself in becoming a high priest, but was appointed by the one who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. As he says also in another place, You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears, to the one who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverent submission. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered, and having been made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him, having been designated by God a high priest, according to the order of Melchizedek. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please join me in reading responsibly verses from Psalm 51 with the Antiphon. (laughs) 
Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you alone, I have sinned, and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are justified in your sentence, and blameless when you pass judgment. Indeed, I was born guilty, a sinner when my mother conceived me. You desire truth in inward being. Therefore, teach me wisdom in my secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones of your crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Clean me a clean heart, O God, and put a new and right spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and sustain me a willing spirit. Please rise as you are able for the singing of the Gloria Patri and the reading of the Gospel. Holy Gospel according to St. John, chapter 12, verses 20 through 33. Glory to you, O Lord. Now among those who went up to worship at the festival were some Greeks. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and said to him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Then Andrew and, Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, 
Unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains just a single grain. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Those who love their life lose it. Those who hate their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. Whoever serves me, the Father will honor. Now my soul is troubled, and what should I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, it is for this reason that I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd standing there heard it and said that it was thunder. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not for mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be driven out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to indicate the kind of death he was to die. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. seated. Now Jesus stands before us at the feast, talking with Greeks as a reminder in John that Jesus came for us, the non-Jews, so that the boundaries of Israel might be expanded and a branch might be grafted onto the tree of life. Today Jesus stands before us in all his youth. 
He stands before us as a young man facing certain death. He is a grain of wheat that is cast into the earth and that then brings forth much fruit. His is a life of servant love given over against so many others who clutch at life and tragically so lose it. Selfishness kills, generosity saves. Selfishness kills, generosity saves. But now the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. For John and his church, this meant that the hour has come for faith. The hour has come to see past and see through the physical reality of death to its true significance. The hour has come to see past and see through the shameful and painful reality of crucifixion to its true significance. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. This fourth gospel trims out of the story of Jesus' death almost all the harsher detail, all the spitting, all the degradation, all the abject humiliation, all the brutality. They are gone here. Peter's denial and the crown of thorns alone remain. And this is because for John, the cross of Jesus Christ is not crucifixion alone, nor departure alone, nor exaltation alone. This hour is, first of all, the hour of glory. So Matthew may end his gospel with a cry, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. Luke may end his gospel with a prayer, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. But John ends with a single word, this Greek word, tetelestai, meaning it is finished. It is finished. What the world sees as defeat is really a triumph. And what the world sees as the end of Jesus' hopes and aspirations is really the beginning of his ascent to glory. The art of life and the heart of life is found in love and in death. And today, we are right at the heart of life. Love and death, these are our ex existential space and our daily time. We are told today to find our life by losing it, to drop our grain that fruit we may gain. We are taught again to love our neighbor as if she were our very self. In these verses, John 12, 20 to 23, there lingers an essence, a fragrance that eludes description. Why did Dostoevsky choose these verses as frontispiece to his greatest novel, Crime and Punishment? John seems to have distilled a potent nectar, more potent than that found elsewhere, from his knowledge of loss. Why are these verses so haunting? I believe they astound us so because they reflect a double death. I believe the sense of glory found in the cross here comes from the hard lesson of loss in a little church somewhere in Turkey, turned out of the synagogue and losing or about to lose long after the death of Jesus, their last link with the primitive church. In the cross, in their loss, they saw both the death of Jesus and the death of their beloved disciple, their beloved preacher, their beloved pastor, John. The fourth gospel is so strange and so startling because it operates always at two levels. First, that of Jesus, and second, that of John. After decades of pastoral care, guiding them through change, leading them out of the synagogue, 
protecting them from their own worst selves, reminding them of Christ the Lord, and showing them how to walk in the light. The towering figure of their beloved preacher was overtaken at last by death. First they lost Jesus, and then they lost John, and both losses hurt with unspeakable pain. But here is what they learned. Love carries us through loss. Love carries us through loss. In fact, only self-opening love can bring any meaning through such loss. Our Lenten conversation partner this year, St. Patrick, deeply and fully shared this Johannine sense of loss and love, of loss in love. The brooding, the longing, the poetry he and his followers over many centuries gave to life is located, met, at the intersection of loss and love, a spot we have known keenly in the last 12 months, as we recalled last Sunday. Near the year 400, a boy named Patrick was kidnapped in Britain and taken as a slave to Ireland. For six long years, he lived poor and alone, a shepherd slave out in the cold green meadows and mountains. He lived poor and alone, and as we mostly do, found his faith in trouble. He turned to the creator God of his parents and found a magnificent source of strength. Out of poverty, out of silence, out of fear, out of hunger, grew the life-changing faith of St. Patrick, who spent 30 years among the people of Ireland bringing faith outside the Roman Empire. I wonder where we might find Patrick today, for out beyond the bounds of what remains of Christian culture today, there live many for whom the gospel is pure news, not just good news, but news. Our mission is blocks away as well as time zones away. A friend who normally sits in the balcony when there is seating and seating in the balcony reminded me this winter of Thomas Cahill's short book, his essay from some years ago, one with a jaunty title and a graceful lyrical composition, How the Irish Saved Civilization. Cahill tells about St. Patrick and about his successors, the Green Martyrs, and a green country, a country full of green meadows. Since our 15th Lenten conversation partner here at Marsh Chapel 2021 is St. Patrick, it seemed time to find and blow the dust off that volume. Patrick inspired a host of others to follow him and to follow his Christ. He embodied a love of nature, a sense of confidence, and a capacity for vision which were wrought in the dark days of his poverty. Out in the shepherd meadows, he found his love of nature. His natural world was forever teaching him, forever succoring him, forever saving him. Most of us are too far from nature. We take too few walks and we attend too few funerals. From this first love, he then found a confidence in God, a confidence that gave him ease, real peace, in the face of difference, in the need for confession, and centuries early on as a champion of the place and voice of women. Faith is contagious when it is confident, as Patrick was confident. Somehow this poor shepherd, this lover of nature, this confident, happy fellow, found a capacity to envision, the power to envision daily, a better world.
nature, confidence, vision. These gifts are ours today as well. For in Patrick's wake there arose in the 5th and 6th centuries of the Common Era an Irish movement called the Green Martyrs. They took to heart his love of nature, his sense of confidence, and his capacity for vision. And their country, almost alone, had received Christian faith without bloodshed. They had no red martyrs. They knew, though, that the blood of the martyr is the seed of the faith, so they endeavored to offer themselves as green martyrs. And off they went to live as hermits and monks, each in his little cell, copying books, providing hospitality to strangers, living out of doors, keeping a memory of past beauty and glory alive through the so-called dark ages. They knew the bright side of Christ, and so they went off into the green woods or the green mountains or the green islands or the green meadows of their native land, there to be faithful, to pray, to read, to love, to commune. They went to draw nearer to God. One such follower of St. Patrick in the sixth century wrote, Grant me, sweet Christ, the grace to find, son of the living God, a small hut in a lonesome spot to make it my abode, a little pool but very clear to stand beside the place where all men's sins are washed away by sanctifying grace, a pleasant woodland all about to shield it from the wind and make a home for singing birds before it and behind. There is a holiness to the creation itself that we do not always well articulate. One of our leading feminist theologians and teachers, Elizabeth Johnson, has in her work and teaching clearly reminded us of this. Nature sings, teaches, helps, saves. Bless those past and present green martyrs who by their example help us to live in easy communion with nature, to walk lightly upon the earth. Bless those past and present green martyrs who by their example notice the sacred groves in which we dwell. One such early Irish poet sang, I am an estuary into the sea. I am a wave of the ocean. I am the sound of the sea. I am a powerful ox. I am a hawk on a cliff. I am a dewdrop in the sun. I am a plant of beauty. I am a boar for valor. I am a salmon in a pool. I am a lake in a plain. I am the strength of art. From this easy communion with nature, there arose in Patrick and in his green martyrs a kind of confidence. And what an inspiring quality is confidence. Confidence before a potential conflict, confidence in the face of uncertainty, confidence which the poor must have, as the scripture continually reminds us, in front of random hurt. Confidence for you to offer hospitality, say, Will they like my home? Will they receive my friendship? Will they accept my meal? Will they reciprocate? Confidence to accept difference. Confidence of women among men and men among women. As Thomas Cahill says, it is confidence that builds a nation, a civilization, a culture, and a people. And it is confidence that is lost when a civilization grows weary and small. Think of your own heroes and heroines, your own role models. Were they not inspiringly confident? 
Not arrogant or pushy or aggressive or domineering or certain, but confident. There is a connection between being at home in nature and being confident in life. There is confidence that comes from reading, from learning something every day. In 1843, a visitor to the Irish city of Kerry noticed a poor farmer alone at midday reading an old manuscript. The visitor was startled to find in the gnarled hands of this poor man an old manuscript written in the Irish language in Celtic character and containing poems, stories, histories, philosophy, handed down from grandfather to grandfather to father to son. A poor man holding a priceless book. Sometimes gifts come from unexpected sources. And here is one, source unknown, confidence. Confidence that God is a God of love. No small affirmation. Joseph Plunkett wrote, I see his blood upon the rose and in the stars, the glory of his eyes. His body gleams amid eternal snows. His tears fall from the skies. I see his face in every flower. The thunder and the singing of the birds are but his voice and carven by his power. Rocks are his written words. All pathways by his feet are worn. His strong heart stirs the ever beating sea. His crown of thorns is twined with every thorn. His cross is every tree. Over a lifetime, one lived in communion with nature and one filled with a sense of confidence. It may be that a capacity for vision emerges. This was true for Patrick. It was true also for the green martyrs. In their little huts through the dark ages, fully at peace, furiously copying, making books, making books, living beyond heartache into God's future, and learning to love words, recognizing that the one sacrifice needed, Christ crucified, has been made, already been made by God. So ritual sacrifices are no longer needed. We may seek together God's purpose, and this is good news for leaders today. I love the Bishop Cyprian, himself a lover of the city, whose motto still is central to all leadership. He said, from the beginning I made up my mind to do nothing on my own private opinion without your advice, without the consent of the people. That is, what will last is what we have the courage to share. What will last is what we have the courage to share. And it may be that in our time, this very year, say, we are learning again to savor this aspect of the biblical vision. You know, the cities across upstate New York, my home, came to life 170 years ago or so, along the path of what became the Erie Canal. In there, in our spiritual constitution there, lie buried, though not long dead, the memories of what poverty can mean. Today we are fast becoming two nations, separate and unequal. Our public institutions, protectors of the non-rich, are imperiled. Our public health, our public schools, our public parks, our public places, our public churches, I mean churches that have not yet succumbed to the temptation to return to sect sectarian life, 
those who will yet dare, yet dare to be both residents and aliens, not merely resident aliens, willing to see in Christ the vision of a culture transformed, a culture and country to be shared. We need to remember the poor, especially through, through Lent, especially this Lent. For it is the poor, the outcast, who at depth know the endless contention of time and of our time, caught as they are in its undertow. We in our churches have forgotten our own poverty, our days not long past of want. Once we were poor, once you were poor. Your family too, if you go back far enough or long enough, not that long ago. Because we have forgotten or hidden our own hurt, not long past, we miss Jesus among the poor, Jesus who meets us amid the endless contention of life. So here is a vision, a green meadow vision, a green country vision. We are a church universal, a church Catholic, and above all, we are not to leave, not to leave the poor behind. Friends, will you acquire an easy communion with nature and nature's God? Will you seek a sense of confidence? Will you develop a capacity for vision? By the side of the road from your little garden, will you share a love of nature, a sense of confidence, a capacity for vision? Will the riches of the poor, nature, confidence, vision, be yours and ours to share today as our spiritual worship? Here is a challenge written this winter by Lee Stein. There is a chasm between the vast scope of our needs and what influencers can provide. We're looking for guidance in the wrong places. Instead of helping us to engage with our most important questions, our screens might be distracting us from them. Maybe we actually need to go to something like a church. Maybe we actually need to go to something like a church. Contrary to what you might have seen on Instagram, our purpose is not to optimize our one wild and precious life. It's time to search for meaning beyond the electric church that keeps us addicted to our phones and alienated from our closest kin. So dear ones, walk the meadows and the open landscapes of a spirited green country. Watch this week for worship in life, the green country of lasting life, the places where Sunday and weekday join hands and dance. If what you are saying and doing has some place in the liturgy on Sunday, then there you may have found fruitful life. That is, does it glorify God? Does it meet and greet the neighbor? Does it provoke honest confession? Does it provide for children, for the poor? Does it include silence? Does it include a listening for truth? Does it further learning and decision? Does it involve a commitment? Does it build broadly construed the body, the body of Christ? Beloved, may our daily grace be the blessing of Bridget's hospitable monastery, St. Bridget of, of Kildare, I should like a great lake of finest ale for the king of kings. I should like a table of the choicest food for the family of heaven. Let the ale be made from the fruits of faith and the food be for giving love. 
I should welcome the poor to my feast, for they are God's children. I should welcome the sick to my feast, for they are God's joy. Let the poor sit with Jesus at the highest place, and the sick dance with the angels. God bless the poor. God bless the sick. God bless our human race. God bless our food. God bless our drink. All homes, O oh God, embrace. All homes, O oh God, embrace. Amen. We now come to the time in our service when we turn our hearts and minds to prayer and lift up our lives and ourselves to God. Please assume an attitude and posture of prayer by either remaining seated, standing, kneeling, or coming to the communion rail as we sing together our call to prayer, Lead Me, Lord. God of all people, you created us in your image, enabled us to know you through your covenant, and sent your Son to redeem our sins. May we embody your generosity and forgiveness in our daily lives and strive to build your kingdom on earth. Although we have been scattered throughout the world as many nations, we ask that you help us to see ourselves in our neighbor and to see you as we love one another. Help us to remember that being strong does not require the hardening of hearts and that the most powerful acts are done with compassion. We pray for all those facing illness of the body, mind, or spirit. May they be comforted. We pray for those facing uncertainty, loneliness, or loss. In the coming warmth of spring, may they feel the warmth of your divine love. At this time of changing seasons, May we appreciate the splendor of your creation. Help us to fulfill our roles as stewards by respecting our earthly home and all those we share it with. Grant us the courage to face change with open minds and hearts. We place our trust in you. Lord, you have blessed us with your mercy. Lead us to become beacons of divine light in our communities as we await the coming of peace. And as our Savior Christ has taught us, we now pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, 
as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory.
our light and salvation. We praise you for your tremendous wisdom and love. We are grateful that you bring healing and hope for us as individuals and as a faith community. Give us grace to extend your kindness beyond our family and congregation to strangers in need. We dedicate ourselves and our offerings to you. Let your will be done by your spirit at work in us as part of the Church of Jesus Christ, your Son. We ask this in his name. Amen. grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the sweet communion of the Holy Spirit be and abide with each one of us now and forever. <laughs> 